This is the ICO Alert Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your host, Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert is the trusted source for analysis of ICOs, otherwise known as initial coin offerings. We maintain a comprehensive list of ICOs on our website at icoalert.com. If you're new to the ICO space or even the blockchain space, don't worry, we've got you covered. Head to start.icoalert.com, where we have helpful introductions to this exciting new world, introductions about ICOs, and introductions about the blockchain space in general. That's start, S-T-A-R-T, dot icoalert.com. My guests today are Luis Quende and Jorge Izquierdo, the co-founders of Aragon. During the podcast, we'll talk about the Aragon platform, how they think the community can solve the current ICO structure issues, and what might happen to Aragon if Ethereum, the platform on which they're built, became obsolete in the future. Without further ado, let's get to it. Now, today's podcast is going to be a little different because, as you may know, the Aragon ICO has already happened. Uh, It happened back in May. The ICO raised $25 billion in 15 minutes, which at that time was double the previous record holder of Gnosis, which raised just $12.5 million. Uh, Jorge and Luis, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I think to get started, if you could go ahead and just give our listeners who don't know what Aragon is sort of a a brief overview of the platform and, and what it does, that'd be great. Sure. So Aragon is a operating system for DAOs. So we aim to provide every single thing you need to, to run a DAO, to run your own decentralized organization. And we're making it very, very easy for, not only for like developers and, and techies, but also for like people in the mainstream to actually create a decentralized organization. And, and you know, not having to go through all the typical process of like setting up an entity and maybe like not being able to work with people around the world. Um, you can use like create a new entity on Aragon and, and, and automatically start working with people or on the world, you know, uh, getting paid, you know, do a token sale, um, all of that features. So essentially, it allows you to create a company. Is that correct? Yeah, not all, not only a company, but also like you know, uh, hedge funds, nonprofits. We're trying to be like super uh, generic, so other platforms can actually build on top of us. Um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, like the main focus till now has been companies. Interesting. So could you walk me through like how that process would work? So let's say I'm trying to start a company or I want to set up ICO Alert as a, a DAO on top of Aragon. Um, how would that process work? So it's, it's very easy. Uh, I mean, actually, people can actually go to alpha.aragon.one and, and try it out. But basically, uh, you create a new organization and then you have like you're the only like token holder and you have like one token. And you can do all of the things uh, in the company, basically, because you are the, the only token holder. And then you can, like, uh, you know, set it up as you want. You can change the values. You can change how the company works. You can also, like, invite more token holders, issue more tokens, maybe do a token sale, um, maybe, you know, like, uh, give some dividends to the token holders, all of the things. And it's, like, a very easy-to-use interface. Um so, you know, one of my goals is that my mom is able to, to use it when it goes to production. Um, so that's the, that's the level of easiness that we are trying to achieve. Very cool. So you mentioned tokens. So every single decentralized autonomous organization has their own token? 
I mean, they, they can either uh, have their own token or use another token to be governed. So, for example, if you want to create a DAO um, that is only governed by rep holders or golem holders or whatever, you can do that. Um, obviously, oh, if wow. you want to run like, uh, yeah, yeah, you can do that. It basically creates like a wrapper of any ERC20 uh, compatible token, and then you can you can use it for, for governance. Very cool. So I could either... so. I could even go out and say, hey, I want to make a DAO for Ethereum holders. And what network would that then govern? Would that would the, the holders of Ethereum be able to govern the new organization that I set up just using their Ethereum? They will have to like grab their, their Ethereum into another token. Uh, that would be just like a grab representation of that token. But, but yeah, then they, they could use it to, to govern the organization. Of course, it would be a little weird because you are like, and giving power of your organization to another kind of entity, which are the token holders of Ethereum. But you can do that. You can like do like a similar thing to the carbon boat thing that the uh, Ethereum community did back then when the DAO happened. Interesting. So do you find that at all similar to Bancor and the platform that they're offering? Um, and for those of you that didn't listen to our first podcast, um, Bancor is sort of a smart token platform that allows you to create a new token and back it by reserves of another token. Now, of course, they don't have sort of this governance model that you all have, but do you guys see yourselves as, as similar in any way? Not at all. I mean, Bancor is... Uh, so the, the thing about Bancor is they provide um, kind of a liquidity mechanism for tokens that don't have market liquidity. And... You know that's 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 cool for some like smaller tokens. Like for example, let's say the restaurant I have, you know, near my house wants to have a token, they will not probably have any kind of liquidity, like market liquidity, so they could benefit from that. But on the other hand, like you know, um, so for example, you could create a token on Banker and then use it to govern your your article organization. So we're pretty much token agnostic in some in some sense. So I think they are complementary, but not not competitors at all. Okay, very interesting. So you guys actually announced a partnership with Bancor on June 9th. Um, and sort of what could you walk me through what the details of that partnership are? Like, are they building on top of Aragon? Or how, how is that partnership set up? So, um, you know, I mean, more than a partnership is basically a way for, for them to, to say that, you know, uh, the Bancor, the tokens created on top of Bancor could use Aragon to be governed. And for us, also, we are working on this company registry, uh, which um, basically will enable discoverability and also kind of an act as a stock exchange uh, of decentralized organizations. Because right now, you know, the number of uh, DAOs uh, or tokens, you know, the number of tokens is growing at a very fast pace. So like central exchanges cannot really keep up. So we are, uh, we also partner with Zero X. So basically you will be able to like uh, trade and transfer and exchange all of these tokens of the Aragon organizations very easily. And in the case of Bancor, I mean, they, they provide a great system for the tokens that don't have any liquidity at all. So, I mean, it's, it's all very experimental. We have to see how it plays out, obviously, before like, um, doing anything that goes to production. But it could be a, a good way to provide, like, you know, the, the restaurant that I have near my house with, like, a token that they can use and people can buy. Okay, very interesting. So... All of these partnerships that, that you sort of mentioned, I know you did a partnership with Bancor, you did one with Status, which uh, just had their ICO recently and is kind of famous now for clogging up the Ethereum network. And I'd like to go into that more in more detail in a little <laughs> bit. Um, and then also 0x, which you mentioned, and then District 0x, which is not to be confused with the former 0x. They're two totally different things. Yeah. Um, so it, it seems you guys are kind of following a pattern here of uh, sort of hopping on the these 
with these token sales and announcing some kind of partnership? I mean, is this strictly just a headlines partnership where it's used to kind of use some of your network to promote these sales? Or is there there's something deeper here um, that, that you all are helping with? Yeah, I mean, what we want to achieve with all, with all the partnerships is uh, we want to achieve some kind of like product integration. That's what everything is, is all about. So, you know, for example, with the status, uh, it's obviously that at some point in time, Aragon will have to work on mobile. Um, that's just how the market works right now. People use mobiles and there's like billions of people that don't really use a desktop anymore. And so, you know, rewriting our whole app, like in Android or iOS, that would be kind of a, a you know, crazy thing to do uh, while having a status, which is, in my opinion, like one of the best, um, you know, Ethereum apps out there. And, and it's, you know, it's one of the th- best Ethereum browsers as well. And it's so well thought from the user experience perspective. So from our point of view, you know, that's an example that we could reuse. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can just partner with these guys, uh, integrate, uh, you know, are going to status, make sure it works in mobile, make sure it works with their system, and then that's it. Um, so, you know, with all these partnerships, we're just trying to achieve product integrations. So that that's the thing that uh, makes sense. If there is a partnership that it's only for, you know, PR or something like that, we try to both those. Okay, very yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and also, like, let me add my, my two cents here. Uh, strategically, at the end of the day, Aragon, I mean, uh, our dream and, and our mission is for Aragon to be a mainstream thing, like that people that are doing, like, totally unrelated businesses and that no, don't know about crypto or ether or whatever, they will be able to use Aragon. But at the end of the day, the people that already know these things are crypto projects. So we think uh, our early adopters are going to be actually crypto projects because as, as, as it was shown in the, in the DAO example one year ago, implementing governance and a solid DAO, it's, it's not a trivial thing to do. And it doesn't make sense for every single project out there to like build their own, uh, their own DAO or governance mechanism to govern their, their things. And I mean, like, how how all the IC the projects that are doing ICOs are working, which is basically okay, like we're raising a bunch of money and then we're putting that in a multi-sig. That's pretty suboptimal uh, because I I mean it's it's very uh, it's very good for the project because it gives them a lot of freedom uh, regarding what to do with the, with the assets, but it's not very good for for token buyers or, or investors. So we we want Aragon at the end of the day to be used by by crypto projects that might already have a token or not yet uh, to govern their their DAOs. Because for example, for Golem or for Augur, uh, it doesn't like their business is not doing governance, and it's something they need. Uh, so most of these partnerships are also from people that say we would like to use Aragon to govern our crypto project, uh, but this is something that we're not building yeah. ourselves. Okay, so it sounds like you guys are kind of creating this governance layer, if you will, where where people can kind of just add governance to their token sale without having to worry about it. And uh, for those that, that aren't sure about the the DAO, the DAO um, that launched a, around a year ago, um, it had a huge security breach in the smart contract code and essentially resulted in one person um, slowly draining the funds from the DAO. And that's that's not to be confused with the term DAO, which is what Aragon is building, these individual decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, I just wanted to make that thing that that point clear for listeners who may not know about uh, the original DAO attack. Um, but I think sort of following up on this partnership, um, it is interesting that you guys are going with product integration, and I think that's pretty smart and, and will definitely benefit the Aragon platform. Um, are you guys helping with their token sale structure in any way? Uh, not really. 
Um, I mean, it, it depends. Like, you know, if, if we are uh, advisors of, you know, for example, we are advisors in status. Um, but like, uh, we usually like, if they want to use Aragon, we usually provide all the tools and all the knowledge. And, you know, if they, if they need any feature on Aragon that, uh, you know, may help them, we try to think about that and implement that in the product, but we don't really get into like the specifics of how they do or, or, or they should do the token sale. Yeah. One of the tools that Aragon allows is like to do a token sale from, from Aragon, like with like five clicks. Uh, which is something that we're working on, like not only to integrate in our product, but we're working on to create a new crowd sale kind of standard uh, with, with another another important uh, crypto project. Because, I mean, it doesn't make any any sense that every single project out there has to build their own token sale contracts with like three modifications. Uh, a lot of code could be reused. And then you have everyone writing their own code, which is very, very insecure. And then everyone is spending a lot of money in audits and, and writing this code. And this is something that could be automated away. And crowd sales could see a lot of improvement and they would be optimized if, if there was a standard kind of like ER, ERC-20 token. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do on top of ERC-20, but having ERC-20 and this standard allows for other tools to work with with, if, with this, these things and, not, and doesn't require everyone to like build their own thing. There's something that we want to do in Ireland. That's very exciting to hear. I mean, I think I think the entire community would agree with you that there's definitely a need for some kind of standardization of token sales, especially with everything that's happened recently with status and basic attention tokens sort of clogging up the network. But Jorge, um, to your point, it's it's interesting. You seem to be um, sort of championing the, championing this cause in a way. Uh, to read a few of your tweets. Um, Back on the 12th of June, you said, quote, I think crypto commentators underestimate how hard it is to do a flawless sale like Aragon's. I'm more convinced than ever that there will be a bad sale and money will be stolen. And then the community will take the fall because of the actions of some fuckers. We need to raise the bar of what we consider an acceptable sale. I'm not talking about Bancor. It could have been way worse. But anything that sounds uncapped even for one minute shouldn't be accepted. So I think there's a, a lot of interesting information here. Um, first of all, that, that Aragon had a flawless sale, which I would tend to agree with. Um, if you could start there and sort of tell me what you guys did differently from a lot of these other ICOs, how your sale was flawless and sort of what you put in place to enable that to happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I meant with our sale being flawless is like, I think, I mean, you can say that the Aragon token sale wasn't like a crazy ICO. Like it was the the, the biggest ICO just before BAT and Bancor and Status that have been like the three sales that have been making the, the headlines. But for example, Aragon, like when we did our sale, uh, we made the headlines, but our sale was a very, very boring sale. Uh, and I think that's a great thing because in our sale, uh, the sale started like at eight and at nine, our tokens were trading in Bitfrex. And we didn't cross the network for more like, more than 15 minutes. That is what all transactions take to, to, to be processed. And, and that was it. Um, and then also we, 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 we achieved to award to more than 2,000 holders in our sale. Um, so we're very, very happy with, with how it went. Uh, I think we, but, but also like we took a lot of hit from the community because we, we decided to do a hidden cap sale. Uh, which is the, the, well, Bancor actually did that, but they, like, kind of changed, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't stop the sale at the hidden cap because they, they, they rebuilt the hidden cap after it was passed. Um, but the idea behind a hidden cap is, 
um, our, our objective was we want to because the Argon network token is a governance token. It's very important that the, the distribution was as good as we as we could make it. Uh, that means like trying to onboard as as much little people as possible. And then of course you are going to have some big holders that. But we try to incentivize big holders uh, by doing the, the hidden cap model, which didn't didn't allow big invest like big token holders to make a proper assessment of what their what how much stake in Aragon they were gonna receive from from a given uh, from a given buy amount because the, the, the total valuation the, the amount that we were raising wasn't public until until the sale started and we we rebuilt the cap. So when, when we published our contracts, we, we, we published a cryptographic seal in the smart contract, and then we had a security cap that was uh, one, one million ether at the time, but we were saying everyone, we had this hidden, like this hard cap just in case some, something happens, but this is not the cap, and the real cap was revealed by us during the sale, uh, which after we had, like we were monitoring the sale, and when we saw that we're more than $5 million committed to our sale, we, Deployed like we sent our rebuild transactions, and that that changed this hard cap of one million dollar ether, one one million ether for a two hundred and seventy five k ether. That was the real cap, uh, the real hidden cap that we made. But at that time, people were already in, uh, like the people that had already bought, they bought without knowing what the what the valuation of, of Aragon would be in the sale, and that discouraged a lot of big big whales to. To, to get in the sale because they they couldn't assess their how much power in the Argon network they were they were going to get. Yeah. So like, do you, uh -huh. yeah, uh, go ahead. Do you attribute the sort of the lack of whales participating in Aragon? And I'm sure there were some whales. And for those of you that are listening that don't know, uh, whales are sort of high net worth individuals that have a significant amount of any any kind of token in the crypto space. Um, but Jorge, do you think it was the hidden cap that prevented them from joining? Or do you think it was, was something else, maybe because the ICO craze wasn't sort of at the point that it is now? Because when we look at things like, uh, not necessarily basic attention token because they they publicized their cap, but with status where, where they had a hidden cap, we still saw, um, I think, some massive purchases uh, by, by what looked like uh, whales sort of come into the token contract and eat up the majority of the sale. Um, and, and there's been some discussion on whether or not that was... Uh, sort of a bunch of individuals that pooled their funds and were part of the whitelisted addresses that were able to contribute um, a higher transaction fee than others. But but I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I mean, do you think a hidden cap solves a lot of those problems or do you think it was something else about your sale that, that um, enabled you to sort of accept a lot of individuals rather than a bunch of whales? Yeah, to be honest, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, uh, our project wasn't like really, really hyped. Uh, before the sale, like th this was something that we did very intentional. Like we didn't run any crazy bounty program for for people, or we didn't have like a Bitcoin talk program for people to would like to get bounties because they they had a signature or whatever. Like we intentionally uh, we had like some very interesting news that we could have released before the sale, but we decided to do it after the fact to like not overhype it. Uh, but I really think the like the hidden gap turned a lot of people away. Uh, and I really believe that like, there's no way to prove this, but I really think that happened. And there were a lot of people, because when we did the hidden cap, we got a lot of hit, like a lot of hit from the community because people were saying like, I mean, of course you always have people that don't read and there were people that thought that we were raising a one million ether that that was like a hundred million dollars back then. And we were, we were like, we're not saying anything about the cap. Of course it's below this amount, but you, you, you gotta trust this. Like, like this is not a, 
because we're greedy, it's because we want this sale to have this set of properties. Um, and and we could have raised eighty million dollars and and that, that might have been our cap and we could have not made the cap. And I think that turned away some people that said, I'm not gonna put five million here because this is this token sale might have a seventy five million dollar cap and they don't have a seventy five million dollar valuation and, and that's totally valid. And I think that I personally think that turned away some people. But also, of course, like uh, if we did our sale today, it might be very, very different because the IC, the, the whole ICO price. Yeah, and what do you think has has really uh, changed in the space? And, and uh, Luis, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. What do you think has changed from the time that you guys did your sale to now these new sales that we're seeing? And for those that aren't familiar with Status, Status had uh, such a massive amount of transactions flooding the Ethereum network with people trying to get into the ICO that uh, now, and I think still currently as we're recording this, um, the Ethereum network has a huge backlog and it's very, very difficult to send a transaction with the normal amount of gas. So Luis, what do you think has changed? And if you'd like to comment on the previous discussion as well, that'd be great. Yeah, I think there is something that has changed, and it's just that Ethereum uh, is over three hundred dollars. In you know, in, at the time in our sale, it was like ninety. It was you know eighty nine dollars, uh, and that was like crazy because months ago it was like eight nine dollars. Um, so that has changed, and also, you know, things are starting to be like easier to, you know, to use for a, for the final user. And I think you know, I, I wanted to also add to what Har has said is that, in our case, we made a lot of tutorials. Um, for users to participate in our sale. And I think that was awesome. And that got us like a really even distribution as well um, with the hidden cab also that, that we did. And, you know, I think it happened the same with the status, for example. Like the status guys, they are awesome with design. They are probably the best team out there doing doing design in the in the community. And, you know, when you want to participate in the sale, it was so easy for users. It was so understandable that I think, you know, basically that's happening. Things are starting to, to reach some parts of the mainstream. And, and also, you know, people are very hyped because Ethereum is basically competing against Bitcoin for being like the crypto uh, king in the in this space. And I think that's that's momentum that we are seeing. And I think that's going to continue for, for some time. Um, we'll probably see Ether, you know, going to... 1k during next year or something like that so you think it's it's strictly due to the price and and presumably because the price of ether has increased it's brought a lot of new money into the space that's sort of looking to to get in on these icos you know i think that's that's one thing that is happening the other thing is just things are easier for users it's just easier for people to participate right that makes sense so i i wanted to i think now would be a good time to talk about the bank sale as well um, Jorge, you mentioned uh, that you guys didn't want to be greedy. You know, the million Ether uh, security cap was really just there as a security measure and not what you were actually raising. And uh, you proved this by raising $25 million in 15 minutes, of course, not the full $100 million that you could have raised. Um, however, with Bancor, Bancor is very interesting. And uh, what what's most interesting to me about it was that they announced the sale as having a one hour minimum. So regardless of how much money they received, how much Ether came into the smart contract to purchase tokens, the sale would stay open for one hour minimum um, and they would collect all that money as a result. But shortly after the token sale started, uh, Bancor actually tweeted out saying that the token sale time, the minimum time that the token sale would be active was extended to three hours. So without telling anybody ahead of time, suddenly during the sale, they announced that they were tripling the minimum time of the sale and as a result they raised more than 100 million dollars 
Uh, some estimates at the time, based on the price of Ether, were up to $150 million for their ICO. And it's interesting. I mean, what what's I'd, I'd love to get your both of your take on sort of what happened. Why did Bancor triple the minimum duration of the sale after it had already started? Do you think there was some sort of deception there of them just trying to get as much money as possible? Or do you think it was something else? Yeah, I mean, I think there is there's two things. Uh, they also committed a couple errors. For example, as, as I heard all before, um, they revealed the hidden cap uh, when it was too late, when when it was passed. So, you know, getting a, a token sale right is a very hard process. You are, you know, we have a, a lot of pressure. So it may be, you know, them saying, hey, uh, the network is congested. And so we want all people to participate. Let's, you know, let's make the minimum time um, three hours, right? And then there is the scenario, which is, you know, we just want all the money. And the thing is that it's so hard to tell. Um, and I think the only thing that will tell us what happened is, you know, a few months from now, if we see, uh, you know, them delivering the product and, you know, delivering on the promises or not. And, you know, I think, you know, as, as I said before, it's so hard to get a sale right. Uh, what you got to get right is the communication with the community. Um, you may have bugs in your sale, you may have bugs in your product. What you cannot do is lie to the community. And that's something that uh, any project should like not do, it should avoid at all costs. Yeah, and let me add to that, like, I don't think Lewis is saying that bankers lie at all, but their communication during the sale uh, was a bit worrisome. Like, I, I was personally worried because I, I didn't know what was happening. Uh, we personally had a, like, partnership with Bancor and people, like, we had people in our Slack telling us, uh, like, what is going on. Uh, I personally, like, and, and as, if you remember during the sale, like, they announced that they were they were making the, 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 the limited time for three hours, and, and they said because the network was being attacked. Right. Uh, and the, the problem with that is, like, everyone jumped in and was, uh, they're, like, the only attack that is going in the Ethereum network is the one that you guys cost, like because you you guys are, are doing this token sale that was very very hyped and it's causing a, a huge DDoS in, in in the network. This is something that you guys should have planned for, and and the design of our sale made this made this DDoS. But then it was then they said it was their their internal network that was being hacked or attacked, and and people couldn't get in because. Like they couldn't see the contribution details or whatever, and that's something that is not not public information. Like no one will ever know if their internal network was was stacked. I, I don't know if there's any evidence to that. I, I, I personally haven't seen that. Uh, I personally think that was an error. Like that they shouldn't have changed the terms of the sale, right? And they should have like stayed in their promise and cut the sale in one hour. Also, like I think it's very important that. They should have to reveal their their hidden cap, and they said whatever about the hidden cap. But your hidden cap, that the only reason you cryptographically sign it beforehand is because like that's actually a commitment. And I think you have to be like you have to be do it if, if you committed to that number, and and you have to reveal it, and, and that's it. For example, in our case, like I was so so stressed with revealing the hidden cap because in the scenario that we had raised more than our hidden cap. I would have felt, and this is something Luis and I talked, like, what happens if, if we go, like, if, if our transaction to rebuild a hidden cap isn't mining time and we end up with in some more money. And, of course, if that, that had been, like, I don't know, like, 
$200,000 more, like that's okay, but imagine we had raised 10 million more that, than, than we had planned. That's, that's a lot of money extra and we had plans to like, I mean, we, we didn't have the specific plan, but we would probably had returned the money to all the, like proportionally to all the holders. And that's something I was very stressed about. And I think uh, even if the network is congested, like if, if you can make sure that your real the cap transaction is getting through. For example, in our case, I had three, we had three percent transactions for revealing the cap that we signed the previous day. Luis had them, I had the three transactions that they came from different accounts. And if any one of those transactions that had crazy gas, like I think we paid like a hundred dollars for, for some wow. of those transactions. Yeah, and very, yeah, but we weren't gonna miss the hidden cap. We were gonna like, we cryptographically committed to that. That, that was a promise we made to, to people. And, in ca in that case, uh, we had also a script that that would reveal the cap when when the the amount raised was was like eighty percent. But I personally like uh, I I I executed the script regardless right before the sale started because we had a monitor like we had a script to monitor the sale and we had a screen we could see how much money was mined and in the contract, but we could also see how much money was going to our contract to the sale contract and like. Two blocks before the sale started, we saw that that amount was already over $5 million. And then I got very stressed and I actually sent the reveal the cap transactions one block before the sale started and they got mining block two of the sale. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it yeah. seems it seems like the, the main thing that's changed, and, and this may just be my perception of, of sort of posts in the community and things like that, but it seems like with sales like yours, where you seemed very, very committed to the community and you were very transparent about that fact, Whereas in some of these recent sales, and not not to point out any of them specifically, because um, because I don't think I'm talking about any any in particular, but sort of the the new general consensus is that it seems to me that the the ICO space, a lot of the power has really transferred to the ICOs rather than the community, which is the whole point of this. You know, when I explain ICOs to people, I say, oh, it's it's a lot like democratized venture capital. But I think as more and more of these incredibly popular sales happen, it seems that that entire process gets less and less democratized, less and less distributed amongst. Uh, sort of a large group of people. Yeah. Um, so so it's very interesting. I mean, do you guys feel the same way? Do you think that that there's a serious issue here where some of these ICOs may not care about the community or or at least don't make it their top priority to communicate with the community in some way to let yeah. them know, hey, we're, we're keeping our promises? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, probably, like, the, the thing is that uh, before, you know, the projects were like, uh, you know, we are getting this money and we get this money because we have to deliver a product. And so we are basically working for the community, right? Because the community decides uh, what features um, do they have to build in and all of that. And today it feels more like, you know, we are getting a bunch of money and then we are doing, yeah, whatever. Uh, and so the problem there is that there's no accountability at all. Like for example, you know, you miss your hidden cap or you, uh, you know, you have a bug in your code or you don't deliver your code or whatever. And nothing really happens. And I think that goes back to other projects back in the day. Um, and the reason of that is that there is sort of like speculation that is just like plain speculation. Like if you look, for example, at, you know, MadeSafe, for example, MadeSafe has been running since, you know, since the Bitcoin time, since like probably three, four years uh, ago. And the token still has like a lot of value. And they like, I think they delivered something like a year ago, but like for three years, they didn't even deliver anything. So they are completely out, out of the market. They cannot compete with anyone at all. 
um, yet they have a lot of value. And so I think, you know, that's really happening and that's just happening because there's a lot of STB, the speculation of people that just want to like multiply by three or, or by four the next day. And, you know, I think there will be kind of a, of a correction of that. And then we will return to the actual utility value of some of the tokens that are in the market uh, against this kind of crazy STB, the speculation. Yeah, and do you think it's going to take some crazy event, uh, sort of like Jorge was tweeting about, where one of these sale token sale contracts gets hacked, and or, or rather, not to use a sort of a fear mongering term like hacked, but somebody exploits a bug in the code and ends up draining the contract? Is that what you think it's going to take for this to change, or, or do you think it could be something else? Yeah, I mean, I think that will happen for sure, as as Jorge said. Um, and if that doesn't happen, there will be a correction anyway, because just you know. Um, there is this quote that I don't really remember that is like, you know, markets are uh, irrational until they like become rational. And then there is like yeah. blood on the streets and people losing a lot of money. And, you know, all of that will for sure happen. And, you know, um, I have a friend who kind of compared what's happening right now to the, to the internet bubble uh, in the 90s. And I think it's not very comparable, but there are some uh, things that are similar. And the thing that is going to be very similar is that a lot of people... Uh, that are not delivering and that, you know, are like buying Lambos with the money that they raised from the token sale, they will probably be gone after there is like a, a correction. And then you have the people that are actually delivering and creating value. And that will be, you know, the Peter Thiel's little masks of the crypto scene probably five or 10 years from now. Wow, that's interesting. And I think one of the sort of interesting events that's coming up that a lot of people that are in crypto would know about is the potential Bitcoin hard fork coming up in August, particularly August 1st, which would actually potentially start on, on June 21st, I believe. Um, but it seems to me that that if something goes very wrong there, the entire crypto market could uh, sort of come tumbling down, at least uh, in the short term. Um, it, it definitely seems, and this is just more of a comment than an additional question, but it definitely seems to me that an event like that uh, could be an event that like you're saying, sort of knocks out some of these players that, that haven't really followed through with their goals. So it's very interesting. Um, but I did want to jump back now and talk more about Aragon. We've been talking a lot about these other ICOs that you know, you're partnered with and, and some ICOs that you're not. Um, but coming back to Aragon, I wanted to talk a lot about the Ethereum name service. So for those that are listening that don't know what the Ethereum name service or ENS is, um, essentially it allows people to register any kind of domain name that they'd like. So I could get icoalert.eth and I can essentially point my long, um, incredibly long uh, Ethereum address to that ENS domain and, and step in if uh, either of you think you can explain this better. Um, but essentially then people can send me icoalert uh, Ethereum payments just by sending it to icoalert.eth rather than my long complex address. And it sort of solves this issue with uh, some scamming during ICOs and, and uh, even issues with inputting the wrong address sometimes. Um, but what you all did is you went out and you registered company.eth. And this was with a winning bid of 500.1 Ether. Um, and because the second highest bid was 212 Ether, that's what was locked up in the contract. Um, and I was looking through your blog on Aragon, and you mentioned that you're actually using company.eth, uh, not really for Aragon, but to allow all of your Aragon users to use it with subdomains. So for example, if ICO Alert was built on Aragon, I could register icoalert.company.eth by locking up your Aragon tokens in a contract. Um, so my main question with this, and of course, I'd like to get an overview of how this process works within Aragon, but is this your own version of the Ethereum network service, or excuse me, the Ethereum name service by enabling people to register a subdomain by locking up your own tokens, or is it is it something else entirely? 
Yeah, it's it has a lot of a lot of parallelisms with that. Um, first of all, like uh, I mean, I think the the work that the the ENS guys have done, like uh, Nick and Alex and from the EF and, and and everyone that has been involved, like they have done a tremendous job uh, doing the, the most successful and most used app out there today. And I, I think the design is, is very, very interesting. Uh, how it basically works is uh, they they created the EMS kind of global registry, that is the .eth thing. And what, what they did is uh, they they are like, they deployed this, this temporary registry that is going to work for, I don't remember if two or four years, uh, but basically, and they now have some rules on how you can register .eth names, okay? Um, but, when you register a .eth name, for example, ICO Alert or 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 or, ARG or company, uh, what this allows you to do is, from your company.eth, you can run your own registry for subdomains of your domain, um, and and what this allows you to do is basically allow people to have names on top of that or register subdomains. As, as you see fit, because this is this is governed by by another smart contract that that is the registrar. Um, so it's kind of infinite how how many levels down. I, I don't know if there's a limit of how many levels down you can go, but wow. people that, if, for example, if you you happen to have an, an organization in, in the Argon network and you register icoalert.company.eth, um, and you you get that locking some ANT or whatever the the final procedure is to do this. You will be able to, of course, have your address of your organization kind of up the root of ico.company.eth, but that would allow you also to have your own subdomains and you could run like subdomains for every report that you have and then go into aragon.icoalert.company.eth would allow you to point it to the, to the address of the of the of the PDF document that is hosted of, on Swarm. So I think the design is very, very elegant, uh, and I cannot wait to to see what would people do with 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 these things and with with the with the ENS. I think it's like one of the most interesting Ethereum projects being built for sure. And we also registered, but we didn't make it. Uh, I mean, we made it public, but only on in on our back. We also registered company.eth. Sorry, organization.eth for people that want, don't want the connotations that the company work has, so you will be able also, by being in the Argon network, to run journeyname.organization.eth. Uh, Very cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I actually didn't know that uh, that was a feature of ENS to, to make a subdomain and sort of run your own uh, bidding structure for those subdomains. That's very cool to hear. Um, does, does it enable you to lock up any token when you're doing that? And is that how you guys are using the Aragon network token for that process? Um, in our in our case, uh, we will. But the, the great thing about the about the ENS is like once you own a, a, a ENS domain, it allows you to like the thing that governs your registry can be a smart contract. So you can basically rule your 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 registrar however you want. Oh, in, very in the case cool. Of, yeah, in the case of the Aragon network, it will probably be some sort of you have to be an organization inside the Aragon network. Plus, you need to. Uh, to lock some tokens, like that's the model that we're thinking about. But what you could run your own subdomain and allow people to register names in a first-in, first-out basis, but only allow reg to register when it's sunny in Iceland. Like you can, like thanks to the smart contract nature of it, like you can make um, 
whatever rules you want for that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think uh, going back to the point about company.eth, uh, you all recently announced a partnership with District 0x, which is a network of decentralized markets and communities. So it essentially allows people to, to create a network, um, or I guess a decentralized marketplace for, for anything they'd like. So an example is ETHLance, which is um, sort of this decentralized marketplace, very similar to Elance, where people can um, post and uh, also sort of apply for, for different jobs and, and get paid in Ether and other cryptocurrencies. Um, now, what's interesting about District 0x that I wanted to touch on is anytime somebody makes a District 0x decentralized market or community, they actually create an Aragon DAO for that new community. Um, could you talk talk to me a little bit about how that process works? Um, are they going to have to create their own tokens for that? Or will they be using Aragon tokens to, to do the governance? Like, How does that whole process work? Sure. So, you know, the, the basic thing about District 0x is that uh, they create different districts, which is similar to like a listing category. And so each time you create these kind of listing categories, uh, you are creating a marketplace in which people, you know, list their offerings and other people buy them. And there is like um, a couple of components that have to be um, kind of curated or there, ha there has to be people out there that are you know, curating uh, that may, may also act as kind of a scroll, you know, like offer services that are important for that listing category. And so what happens there is basically uh, you can create a DAO that does that and you can have people who offer that services and they like receive a fee out of the revenue of that district, which is basically that listing category. And so um, obviously Aragon was like the easiest way to do that. Um, I think one of the only possible ways to, to do that. So each time a district is created, what happens in the background is that a Aragon DAO is being created and, you know, obviously with their own parameters and probably their own modules and plugins from the District 0x team, but the core is, is an Aragon organization. And I think we're going to see more and more projects doing that kind of approach because like reinventing the wheel is just like too much work and a huge security attack. So Yeah, and I think that speaks to, to you all sort of being this, uh, it, it speaks to you all sort of becoming this governance layer uh, for sort of the cryptocurrency space and particularly the Ethereum networks. It's very interesting um, how all of these partnerships are sort of coming together. Um, is there anything you'd like to add for 0x and not District 0x, but 0x, the, the protocol for decentralized token exchange? Is there anything you'd like to discuss about that partnership in particular? I mean, I think we're just like super excited about them. And I think like right now we are working on, on the on the first release we are going to uh, do after the token sale, which is 0.4. And this release will basically provide economic abstraction for all the Aragon organizations. So they will be able to operate in any token, not only Ether. And I think down the down the road, these guys have a tremendous uh, potential of being like, you know, the factor protocol for decentralized exchange. And that's going to like be so important for, for us because we will live in a world with, with like, you know, hundreds of or even thousands of tokens and you don't want to be exchanging all day them in Polo. So, um, yeah, I mean, what they are doing is so exciting. Yeah, so with all these hundreds or these thousands of tokens that, that will sort of exist in the future, um, there will presumably also be potentially dozens or, or maybe even hundreds of different platforms where these tokens actually live. So one of those being Ethereum, um, a few in the future being Lisk and, and Ardor and uh, other similar platforms like that. Um, do you see Aragon as always living on Ethereum, especially with, with all the recent uh, main chain bloat issues with delayed transactions and things like that? Or do you foresee it as something that could potentially be chain agnostic in the future and, and move to other platforms or potentially all token platforms? Um, that's, that's a very good question, actually. And this is something that we've been thinking a lot about like these days. 
Um, we are personally both uh, very hardcore Ethereum believers. Uh, I really believe, and I think I share a lot of values with the people that are building Ethereum, and I think they're doing a, a tremendous job, and it's the, the, the crypto project that I'm more excited about, like, uh, besides Aragon, of course, but um, there could be a world in which Ethereum stops being the, the major platform for, for doing smart contracts, and at that point, there, there are actually two scenarios, which is, uh, number one, we, we migrate from, from Ethereum to run Aragon and migrate the Aragon token and the Aragon network to another platform, or the scenario that I think it's more likely is um, there will be these uh, blockchain uh, com compatibility interoperability projects uh, like Polkadot from the Parity guys or Cosmos that they will kind of allow to operate with other contracts or smart contracts or, or other currencies uh, inside from, from one chain to another. And I think, I personally think that's where it will happen. Uh, and Aragon will be able to run uh, in, the EV, in the Ethereum EVM and then having tokens in the in the Tesos blockchain, but that you actually can govern using an Aragon organization in Ethereum. That's, that's something that could be totally feasible. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, of course, like we're we're a company and, and Aragon like needs to go beyond Ethereum. And if, if Ethereum doesn't like, if something happens down the road, we need to be able to migrate to another chain or, or, or to whatever. And, and that's that's in a scenario that, that could happen. Like we personally think it won't, but if, if that happens, like if, if Ethereum were to die, which of course, like we don't want that to happen, uh, we will make sure that Aragon survives uh, in another chain or, or whatever. Yeah, that's very good to know. And it's interesting, especially as, you know, we just had the status ICO, which bogged down the network for, for several days even. Um, and, and upcoming, there's a really interesting ICO that I wanted to talk to you all about and, and see if you knew about it and also kind of get your thoughts on it. But there's this ICO called EOS, E-O-S. And uh, essentially, it's a new platform. They they very sort of upfront say that they're a competitor to Ethereum and solve a lot of their scalability issues and things like that. But the way that they're structuring their token sale is very, very interesting. Um, and a lot of people in the community, and I think rightfully so, are worried that it's going to exacerbate this problem of uh, sort of Ethereum network congestion. And essentially what they're doing is they're having one big initial token sale that lasts for five days with a five-day minimum. But then after that, they're running 341 consecutive 23-hour sales with a one-hour break in between them. So effectively for 341 days, they will have sort of a mini ICO on the Ethereum network. And what a lot of people are worried about is that, you know, looking at the status ICO or the basic attention ICO, where all of these people are trying to get into to, to buy their tokens, if something like that happens with EOS, the entire network could be bogged down theoretically for 341 days all the way to June 1st, 2018. So, I mean, do you guys think that that's a possibility? If that happens, how do you think Ethereum will react? And, and do you think that, um, sort of future improvements to Ethereum like Raiden could fix that? And, and if so, how soon do you think that, that could happen? Uh, I mean, I think there's a, a very basic limit to this uh, on how much you can clock the network. For example, Status, like uh, when they did their sale, they basically did a, a 300,000 Ether sale, which more or less like roughly, like there's like 90 million outstanding Ether right now created. That was like more or less like 0.3% of all the all the ether out there went went to status, uh, and that that basically like that was a lot of congestion in the network because that's what you can do when you have a lot of a lot of ether. But 
for this council that is going to be going on for almost a year, I think there's only so much capital that will want to go into the sale and maybe that could be a problem for the Ethereum network for like two weeks, uh, which could be bad, of course. But I think there's a there's a limit on how much Ethereum can go to the sale and how much they plug the network. Like uh, that's that's basically it, yeah. I mean, you can basically fuck up the network doing like yeah. s smaller transactions, like going there all day long. Yeah. Uh, th that's a problem that could happen, but yeah. Also, it's so funny because like if they want to be like a Ethereum competitor, um, I think like cutting up the network for a whole year is like a very smart move to 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 compete against Ethereum. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, yeah. And Let's see how it plays out. Yeah, that's one of the interesting sort of conspiracy theories surrounding this whole thing is that, you know, they receive a bunch of Ether and supposedly after that first five day, you know, bigger initial sale, all of the tokens will and their ERC-20 Ethereum placeholder tokens, um, they, supposedly they will be tradable after that first five day sale. Um, so in theory, if we look at this with sort of our conspiracy goggles on, you could say that, okay, they're going to accept all this ether. The tokens are going to be immediately tradable. And as people start to, you know, get the fear missing out this FOMO, they try to buy into the next sale. And then the token price goes up because there's more demand. And then they try to buy into the next sale and sort of rinse and repeat for that full 341 days. And in doing so, like you said, I mean, they're proving the use case for their platform with, with this sort of unlimited transaction throughput by clogging up their main competitor, Ethereum. And then to take it even further, you know, I've seen posts in the community about, oh, wow, they're accepting all this, this Ethereum. They don't want the price to crash. But in reality, I mean, they could take a significant chunk of, of their Ether that they get in that first sale and dump it on exchanges and sort of cause this snowball effect where people, you know, try to abandon Ethereum and jump into EOS as fast as possible. And that snowball effect just exacerbates the entire problem. Um, so it, it's a very yeah, interesting it, situation. Yeah. I mean, if, if they do that, we'll just buy the dip. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, so buy the dip, uh, load up on Ether. It's, do you think, I mean, do you think Raiden, which is sort of a, to, to explain it at a very high level, sort of like a software update for Ethereum, do you think that that would solve this, this issue? Uh, I, I don't think you need Raiden to run off-chain off sales. I mean, what they are doing at Raiden is a, is a, it's a tremendous job and it's a very hard problem to solve. But in a for running a sale, there was this 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 post in Reddit that Nick Johnson from the EF and the ENS did uh, for an example on, on how to do offset off chain token sales. Uh, and you actually don't need Raiden for that. Uh, you can do your own kind of payment channel for your token sale in which there's only one entity receiving the receiving the funds, and you can do that pretty easily without Raiden. Uh, Braden will make it easier, of course, but this is something that you can pull pull off without without needing Raiden. Uh, and that's one of the ideas that we're entertain, entertaining right now. Uh, and that was pretty funny when when Nick Johnson uh, published that because this is something that we've we've been thinking for some time and, and working about on uh, this kind of off chain sales that are definitely possible. But the problem that Raiden attempts to solve is kind of these payment channels for like. Uh, multi-parties like uh having actually like a pool a payment channel that is big in which there's no like me and louis like setting up a payment channel in which me and louis we send ether to each other like we can pull that off in a smart contract in 20 lines of code that's pretty easy what it's kind of hard is having a payment channel in which there are a thousand parties that don't trust each other that and they are transacting among each other and that's what radian is attempting to attempting to solve as, as far as i as i know interesting um, so 
what yeah. how would these off-chain sales work because presumably you still still need to set to send your ether um to some kind of address to get it off chain unless i'm misunderstanding but but wouldn't that still cause the same issue of this transaction backlog yeah i mean not at all uh there's like for example like a very very naive uh attempt that that you could do is for example you could uh, allow people to like create their own smart contract with the with the code that allows for for these off-chain token sales so and you can do that for two weeks for example or or, or whenever you want and and you can put your if transfer the ether that you want to contribute to the sale to this new contract that you create that is very easy that you have a ui to to put it there and then this contract during the sale period you cannot withdraw your your own ether it's one of the rules of the contracts and then during the sale, what you do is you sign with the pri with your private key. You sign a special message that isn't a transact an ether transaction, but it's a special message that says, "I'm the owner of these con the ether in this contract, and I want to participate in the sale." And then you would send that to the person running the sale. The person running the sale will sign it back to you, and this this would happen totally off chain, like with their servers or whatever. They would sign it back to you, and then you would have that. And then in a period after the sale, like in another two weeks, you could go there with both signed messages. And actually, that's the moment when the transfer, the ether transfer and the token transfer would happen. But you could see the sale instead of happening in like one hour that you'd literally kill the Ethereum network, you could see all those transactions happening in the timestamp of four weeks in which like the, the Ethereum network wouldn't even realize. And, and the process for doing that is, would be fairly easy. Like you just would need to like sign this new message and then the token sale, the, the guys doing the token sale will sign a message back and then you know that you will be able to redeem your tokens and they know that they will be able to withdraw the ether from your contract. Um, wow, interesting. This that, yeah, this is something like, of course, like uh, there's a lot of things that like, I mean, this is, this is not something that you would build in a day, but this is a method that, that would work uh, of course, this wouldn't be as easy as just going to to create my Ether wallet and sending an Ether transaction. That is something that everyone knows how to do. Like you would need to build the actual infrastructure, the actual front end, and and teach people how to do this this kind of sales. But this is something that that could work, and with the correct tooling, uh, this could solve a, a lot of a lot of issues. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of proposals for you know how can we fix token sales and how can we prevent this from happening you know throughout the community, particularly on Reddit, and that's one that I have not heard of yet. So it's very interesting. Um, it, it seems that there are a lot of potential solutions, and it'll just be a matter of of which one ends up working uh, through trial and error. But uh, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Um, if you guys have anything you'd like to add, if you'd like to, to let our listeners know where they can learn more about Aragon, th that would be great. Yeah, sure. So our website is aragon.one, and you can also join our Slack community in aragon.chat. And yeah, I mean, just a huge thank you to the Ethereum community for everything that's happening. It's really exciting. And yeah, uh, we look forward to delivering Aragon to the mainnet pretty soon too. So yeah, we're very excited. Yeah, and also thank you, thank you guys and ICO Alert for all the great work that you do and totally. doing your your awesome reports on, on the token sales to help people know what they're what they're buying into. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you both so much for joining me. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with the Aragon Mainnet launch and of course with great success in the future. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast, tweet us at ICO Alert and let us know. 
We're trying to cover all the ICOs that includes past ICOs, present ICOs, and ICOs that are, of course, happening in the future. Thank you again. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to get updates when we publish a new episode. Also, don't forget to check out ICOalert.com for our in-depth analysis of upcoming ICOs, as well as our comprehensive list of every initial coin offering. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week or sooner with a brand new episode.